0: Navigating the Datascape with Porter Chavez and special guests.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today we are going to be covering the Snow Day. The Snow Day was a PR event that Snowflake did, I think it was about a week ago, where they basically showed all the different announcements, all the things that are in preview right now that are gonna be coming to general availability during 2022, lots of stuff to unpack. Today with me, to help me with that, I have Sandeep Aurora. How are you, Sandeep?
0: Yeah, thank you, Oana. Hi, guys, this is Sandeep. I'm working as a project engineer here at Pithian, and I have around 11 years of experience working into data analytics and cloud consulting. So, hey, excited to be here.
1: Amazing. And Sandeep has actually helped me with Snowflake quite a bit at Pythian as well. He's a guy that has lots of hands-on experience with all of the three main cloud providers as well. Same as Snowflake. So I think it's a great addition to have him here today. So let's let's start because that list is quite big today. So first, we're going to talk about the infrastructure improvements that Snowflake has added to their platform or has implemented. I'm going to go through them, some deep, and maybe you can tell me what do you think is the impact of, of all these improvements under the covers. So Snowflake, in their Snow Day event, they said that during the last few months, they have achieved the 55% performance improvement when doing database replication. So when you are copying one database from one place to another, Then they are also doing, or they did a 35% improvement in the compression ratio of the data that you store inside Snowflake, 35% improvement. Then they also said they have done a 2x better external query performance on Parquet. External queries are the queries that run straight direct to files. So this is what they're saying. Twice as fast now, the queries that just go straight and read data Parquet data from cloud storage. And then finally, the the other um, hardware-related or infrared-related update is that they're deploying bigger warehouses. Now we have a 5XL. These are AWS only for now. 5XL is 256 nodes, and a 6XL is 512 nodes of Snowflake. So a lot of stuff there. Sandeep, what do you think is the material impact for clients of these updates and which one do you think will be the one that is the most beneficial?
0: I think the compression ratio is definitely the biggest one out of all of these, because that helps uh, improve the costing for the clients, right? Because when you get your data into Snowflake, it does compress the data anyways. And uh, with that uh, enhanced performance capability, uh, compression capability, obviously uh, it's gonna help uh, reducing the cost even further. In terms of that, uh, did you get a you know uh, check on uh, what is this in terms of is it in terms of performance or is it terms of uh, reduction actually?
1: The the thirty five percent improvement in compression ratio is the consumption of storage is thirty five percent less. And then they did mention in the snow day event that just due to how you know database engines work in general this translates directly into better query performance anyway, right? Because every yes. time that you got to go fetch, you're fetching 35% less.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it also translates into how you can reduce the cost as well, because the faster you run queries, the less processing power you're going to be using. So you can shut down your warehouses or they get automatically shut down sooner and you're using less storage. So that definitely helps not just with the performance, but also with the cost as well. So I think overall, that's a good feature to have going forward, definitely.
1: Yeah, I think also it's interesting uh, with uh, with Snowflake's recovery model. So if people don't don't know this, Snowflake uses what's known as time travel as recovery. So it doesn't necessarily uh, feature backups. It's more of a, the capability of going back in time to see how the data looked like before. So if you screw up and you drop a table, for example, you don't have to restore the entire warehouse. You can just undrop your table, right? So this. That's a good one. This compression ratio uh, applies and multiplies once you apply to recovery too, right? Because your previous images will also be 35% more compressed now, right? And then they also have the fail-safe data that they keep for like absolute uh, disaster recovery, right? And that one is, I think, is an extra week that snowflake still keeps as well and that one will apply to that as well because you pay for all this data right you pay for your live data you pay for your time of travel you have to pay for your fail safe so there's this trickles down to all these other types of data as well so i think that's pretty cool
0: what what The other item... bigger warehouses yeah i was gonna come to that actually so i i mean one of the things that i don't like about you know these announcements is that you know, they would do it for a particular platform, like they've announced it only for AWS and not yeah. rolled it out to GCP or Azure. I mean, not yet. I don't yeah, yeah it, it will be, but yeah, I mean, as a client or as a customer, if I'm looking to, you know, have a deployment on Azure or GCP, then in that case, I have to still wait for that kind of a warehouse, right? I know it will be announced in the future, but not having the capability right now does affect uh, some of the customers, uh, if you think about it. So yeah, I mean, it will just be good. I mean, because I don't think so that, you know, they not get that compute capacity in other vendors. They definitely can get, but maybe it's a trial for them. I don't know. It is for
1: sure. A lot of the features they seem to, the way that Snowflake seems to work is that AWS is always their like testing ground. Yeah, yeah, that's where they break ground usually with AWS, because they've done this with other features too. For example, I think Snowpark right now is both in AWS and Azure. And we're, we're going to cover Snowpark later for people that might be wondering what that is. But it started with AWS as well. So I'm not super surprised they started with AWS also. um, Because, I mean, think about where the biggest clients for Snowflake, they're probably in AWS too, right? So they are probably the ones that came up with the requirement that they needed 256 or 512 <laughs> nodes, right? That's a lot of compute. Uh, probably ephemeral, though. Uh, you, you'd have to run a query or a report or something that is in the petabyte scale. And then you redeploy your 6XL for maybe like half a day and then you shut it down, right? I doubt that it's somebody that uses the 6XL 24-7. I mean, 512 nodes, that's a lot of compute. And if you are, then contact me because I think that you can probably optimize that with some aggregations or something. Anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there are other features as well that they have launched you know very recently that helps with the data aggregation and stuff i mean if you're running that kind of a node with uh, the 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 query that you're running maybe there is absolutely something wrong and and again you know the amount of data that you probably have if you're running that kind of a warehouse right probably you have a very very large data set or maybe there's something wrong yeah with the
1: very likely run. no very likely it's a very large data set but i doubt that like i said i doubt it's 24 7. it's usually these types of super large Clusters—they serve some sort of critical query, critical report, or critical model, or something like that. And then you know you do it; you shut it down for the rest of the day. Um, yeah. Not something you would run 24/7, but everything is possible. Who knows? All right. The other
0: thing <clears> that I like about you know having the uh, better external performance for Parquet data because that's what the major I guess raw format that is being used. So that also does does help uh with the data ingestion and uh, data processing going forward as well for that's
1: sure true. so that is yeah. another good feature to have yeah it's yeah, it, uh, it doesn't just help with uh data lake workload in general as in like a general query but it does help with ingestion too so yes that <laughs> has two two applications and and definitely parquet i mean if if you have the chance to actually choose you know, the format that you want to work with, or if you do have a data engineer on staff that can help you change or transform all your files. I mean, Parquet is a great format. Obviously, it's been fully adopted with Spark, um, with Databricks, uh, Snowflake, and obviously they think that there's a lot of value there since they're targeting improvements directly from Parquet. And um, yeah, it's a big part of the whole Snowflake story now where they're moving not necessarily a way of just data warehousing but they're adding a lot of data lake um capabilities right so the idea that you don't need something else to also uh serve your data lake workload the idea that you can just use snowflake for data lake as well right
0: oh yeah yeah i mean having that capability and especially if you're on a cloud platform like for example aws the integration of uh parquet on you know s3s storage for data lake athena is definitely a good product that uh, does help uh, curate uh, directly from s3 and similarly other vendors like we have gcb and we have Azure they also have uh, the external links to curate the data directly rather than having to think about compute as well so that gives that adds on to the data like capability that uh, uh, snowflake has to offer i mean in case you want to have that data sitting on a you know, let's say uh, S3 or a blob storage, you can uh, directly curate within the cloud platform as well. And uh, if not, then you can use uh, Snowflake as well uh, for that to directly curate them. So now earlier where you were using two different platforms to do one thing, now you can just use one platform that is Snowflake to do all of that uh, going forward as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They need to keep up with competition. I always say like Snowflake has really tough tough competition, right, yeah. it's, a, it's a company that, is now trades in the in the stock exchange it's valued in the billions of dollars so it's well capitalized to compete but it definitely has tough competition because it has to you know uh, uh, hit with uh hey amazon microsoft google right and and they have to be able to keep up or people are just not going to bother with a third-party solution they might just go with everybody's first party thing right like yeah. you know BigQuery or in iws they could use redshift they could use athena etc right yeah. or synapse in azure as well yeah. okay let's move on to something that is a snowflake only because snowflake and now this is the advantage of being the third-party vendor and is that snowflake is actually in all cloud providers right so you can deploy snowflake in aws you can deploy it in azure you can deploy it in google and they have released a new and improved set of cross cloud replication capabilities maybe you can talk us through them
0: yeah sure i mean uh, i i was talking to a customer very recently where they had a requirement similar to this right and having that capability You know, allowed them to get the data from their provider because, you know, most of the providers these days for data analytics use uh, Snowflake as well. And uh, when you are also on Snowflake as a customer, you want to get the data. Having that kind of a capability does help because maybe the customer, the provider is on AWS and you as a customer are on Azure, and you want to get that data in, right? So that capability does help getting the data in and then being able to run analytics using the provider's data as well. So. It was there earlier, but it was just command line. But having added the uh, GUI for it does help because that makes uh, things a lot easier to implement it uh, going forward. What I would also like to see in the future with this is that uh, if there is a capability to directly share schema across platform, like from AWS, if you have Snowflake Warehouse on Azure and you want to share the schema directly, Right, because I do get asked about that as well. If you have been asked that question a few times, but it's not there, uh, maybe in the future, they'll roll something like that as well. But uh, this is definitely a good step forward uh, towards cross cloud uh, and hybrid uh, platform capability that everyone is trying to achieve these days.
1: Yeah, and they, uh, they did a couple of uh user-friendly or market-friendly uh, uh, updates to this capability. So to the one that you mentioned, they, they put a GUI on it, which is very important for adoption, right? A lot of times, people people don't even know features exist because they just don't see them, quote-unquote, right? Exactly. They, if they have to go dig in the documentation, then they, they think it's not there, right? So they, they there wasn't really a GUI to set up the replication cross-cloud and now they announced it in the Snow Day event. They're actually, you know, a nice GUI with a little map and you know, you tap on where you want to go and stuff like that, right? And that does yeah. help with adoption when people can do it pretty easy. And then the second one that was like a market-friendly update to this capability is they gave it an, a, a fancy marketing name, right? Now it's called Snow Grid, right? So you yeah. can say, oh, my database is on the Snow Grid. And then the Snow <laughs> Grid is on all these regions that are, Uh, not just geographically distributed, but they're also in different providers' clouds. Uh, And to your point, so to people that are not familiar with how this works under the cover, so Sandeep was saying that they don't allow direct schema sharing yet. And what that means is that if you are in Azure and let's say you want to share with somebody in AWS, you first have to replicate into AWS and then you can share with that person because you're only allowed to share in, in the same uh, provider, in the same region, right? So you gotta get local to your consumer and then you can share. So that's the gap that's there right now, whether they allow remote querying, like truly remote, or whether they streamline the process and just by saying sharing, they will automatically handle everything under the covers. That's not there yet. So you always have to replicate and get local to your consumers and then you can share as the next step so that's the one extra hop that everybody still has to do but they did improve with the with the gui so that's mm-hmm. that's good something else that they did is that you can do actual client redirection from one account to the other so this is a new dr capability right so before you could have two regions replicating but there wasn't like a global alias. You would have to roll it out yourself, basically, right? So you could create something in your local DNS, for example, right? And just you change the DNS yourself. But now Snowflake added that capability themselves, right? So they, they are, they're they the ones now that have a global name for your account. And you can fail it over if you want to from one account to the other. So let's say Azure is the primary, AWS is the secondary, so that's that's kind of interesting too. I don't know that how what do you see this as the adoption? Do you believe there's a future where most warehouses or big data platforms will be cross cloud? Do you think this is a niche feature? Like what's your opinion on that?
0: No, definitely. See. Uh, we've seen a shift where uh, when we're talking to customers nowadays they are looking for hybrid or cross cross cloud platform solutions. Uh, definitely, because uh, each and every cloud platform has to offer, uh, maybe you know, I mean, it's cheaper and better, or uh, you know, every every has every cloud has their own offering, right? And having the capability to localize the data within the platform itself uh, adds on uh, with the capability to enhance the capability. For example, uh, you know, you've been using a particular uh, platform, and uh, you went into a particular platform, let's say just for example, let's say someone wants to do machine learning and they have a model already sitting in GCP, and yeah. but their provider currently is AWS, right, where they have the infrastructure. Now, one of the things that I've seen is what people are doing is that they're bringing that data in every day into GCP to run and analyze the data and run the model on top of, uh, of that, right, but having the capability where you can have that cross data platform where you're you know infrastructure your data is localized on gcp and aws simultaneously it definitely will help the customers to have seamless integrations across the cloud platform because i mean at the end of the day as a customer they want to use what's the best in the market uh, and what's the cheapest uh, solution that is available in the market to do to get from point a to point b right and that's what the business really cares about right so having that capability uh, will definitely help the customers as well and uh, towards that uh, hybrid uh, cross-cloud shift as well. Uh, it will definitely help the customers as well. And uh, that's yeah. what they're trying to do as well. All of these platforms are launching new products, like for example, Anthos is there, Outpost is there from AWS. So they're launching these new products, which is more towards giving that hybrid and cross-platform capability as well. So yeah. having that in the kitty definitely helps.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that we're seeing more and more where clients have different workloads in different cloud providers right but you always need the data and it is quite of a pain to manage that process yourself right then you're the one that has to manage the replication or you have to go into some sort of third-party provider uh, that sells like a cloud data replication solution but then you're left with having to manage everything else on top right whereas with snowflake you just have to adopt snowflake and then all the other Uh, satellite ancillary services in the different cloud providers can just work with it once the Snowflake is deployed in your cloud, right? All right, um, let's move on to the last infrastructure update. These are serverless tasks. So no virtual warehouse needed for serverless tasks. What what does that mean? Is that before, I don't know if you ever played around with the tasks, it's basically jobs, right? It's like a glorified cron tab inside Snowflake. Yeah. So before you had to assign a virtual warehouse to the task. And when the task is set to run, if the virtual warehouse is up, then it just uses that virtual warehouse. Or if the virtual warehouse is not up, the task will wake up the virtual warehouse and then execute. And then your virtual warehouse stays up until it, it goes by that idle time that it'll go back to sleep. Now, with serverless tasks, as it says in the box, the task will use separate compute, not a virtual warehouse. So kind of like Snowpipe. Snowpipe doesn't use a virtual mm-hmm. warehouse, right? It just uses its own compute. And Snowflake charges you that compute by, I don't know, by the second, I guess. Yeah, I think it's by the second. So that that's the difference, right? So instead of having to be waking up the virtual warehouses to run tasks, it's completely serverless you just create the task and then snowflake handles the compute to actually run the task so that's Mm -hmm. that's what it is so over the long run it's supposed to be saving your money right because you don't have to be waking up the virtual warehouse and um you just pay exactly by the compute used by your serverless task so that's that's pretty Mm -hmm. much what it is yeah
0: I actually started using tasks for one of the requirements some time back. But then I replaced it with, you know, running the procedure. So I had a procedure which ran every day. I just went to the uh, transformation engine and I scheduled it over there. But uh, with this new feature where, you know, obviously when I ran it through the transformation engine, which was data factory back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Obviously had to start the warehouse before it could run that stored procedure and whatever transformations it was running. But uh, with this kind of capability, if you know you don't have to pay for running a job per se, I mean you don't need a warehouse, then obviously you're not paying for any processing power, definitely. So I well, you're
1: paying for it, but you pay you pay with a way smaller granularity, right? Yeah. So you pay by the it's, second of compute, and that's yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that definitely makes me rethink of uh, using the tasks again rather than, uh, you know, having uh, the having to use the uh, transformation engine itself to do all of this. Because that can be, you know, you're paying for the uh, time for the transformation engine plus, you know, the processing power of the warehouse. Yeah. It is a well. trade-off,
1: right? It's a trade-off yeah. right now because with the tasks, you don't have like the nice... Uh, GUI and the connectors and yes. all that stuff right like if you use something that's like what, Data Fusion what, in Google is. yeah or if you use something like glue in AWS you use something like uh Azure Data Factory Data. that you just mentioned right you get all this other stuff along with it right with the tasks I mean it's nice that it's serverless but with the tasks literally all you get is a, a scheduler and you can run something and you can also have a hierarchy so you can say this task is the parent of these other tasks and fire it up kind of thing but it's nowhere near the capabilities obviously as a full-blown orchestrator like adf or yeah. data flow or glue or anything like that right so you kind of yeah. have to choose i think if it's something simple like just you need to just let's say execute like a query that does something every day at a certain time then that's fine and you'll probably be okay with it I would be more hesitant to just say, like, I'll build my whole ETL inside serverless or not serverless or whatever, the tasks in general. Yeah, because I, I can see how that could become a bit of a, a pain yeah. to debug and monitor, etc. Right. Monitoring is another big one, right? It's already built in. The login is already built in and all these other tools. If it's something oh, no, simple, guys. then sure. If it's, uh, but don't think it's a full blown replacement for like an an but, orchestrator or etl tool
0: right yeah no definitely this task that i was talking about was a very simple task actually it simply used to refresh the dimension table for the date uh, where you know the dates uh, get rectified and it gets uh, added uh, for you know how much time it has been for the last date uh, ah, yes okay yeah yeah, yeah so that's, that's,
1: actually, that's, about a, that, that's actually a good fit for a task yeah i think exactly,
0: so exactly yeah. i mean obviously for orchestrating all the transformations uh tasks still needs to I guess uh, they need a lot of improvements and obviously uh, you know, a GUI where we can align those tasks in the order that we want them to run in. Uh, if that happens in the future, yes, definitely, I'll, I'll start using tasks a lot more rather than looking at any other orchestration uh, or tool to do the transformations. But until that happens, let's yeah. just keep using what we have.
1: <laughs> yeah, going, going on a small tangent here. So they did not announce anything like that, but honestly, I'm always, a little bit surprised that snowflake just doesn't take all the money it has now because it's really well capitalized now as like you know when it when it went public in the stock market it raised something like five billion i'm always surprised that um they don't just go out and buy somebody you know buy like mm-hmm. a a company that has a nice gui based etl orchestrator and just put it on top of the product and that way you have like the whole package inside snowflake itself right now they depend on whether people want to use the third party not the third party the first party services like we just mentioned in aws azure or google or they depend on people wanting to use one of the many uh etl orchestration partners that they have as well right. right but it's not snowflake itself so not never mind that though is that was not announced <laughs> the snow day is not coming <laughs> or at least not publicly known but I'm, I'm always wondering if that's gonna come one day yeah they have money they should just buy somebody i don't think they should develop it from scratch either yeah anyway moving on let's talk about the governance and security updates there's a quite a bit of governance security updates uh Let's see, for example, I think one that looks pretty cool is object tagging. So you are able to tag objects Mm. with key value pairs now in Snowflake. What are some of the use cases you think we might have for object tagging?
0: I think one of the things we can definitely do with this is like find costs on per table basis, right? Where you can, when you run your billing reports, you should be able to, you know, bill based on tags for those objects itself. Storage. Yeah,
1: we could look. Yes. That's a good way. I think you could do that. Uh, decompose your storage bill. That's an interesting mm-hmm. one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I haven't tried it, but I think you should be able to do it with this capability. And apart from that, uh, I think uh, this is also going to be a good way to like add labels for your data. For example, you know, if you have multiple yes. providers sharing data into. You know one database you can just label the data who's the owner who is the you know when this was brought in when does this data expire and stuff like that that information will definitely help administrators because you know people come and go right so if you have a change in your administrator and they want to find out some administrative information of uh, you know the data that's in there uh, they can ha- definitely look at the object tags and find that information
1: yeah yeah it has does it has a couple of different use cases that like you mentioned i, I do think that there are there are the pieces are there to be able to do decomposed storage costs. I I don't know if that's out of the box provided. I don't think it is, but I, I can see how you could build that. Um, yeah. And the other point, yeah, for sure, is about the just the governance piece, right? Just labeling stuff like who's the owner, where did it come from, or what's the version, like a schema version, for example, right? Like if you change the schema of a view, you can tag it with a new schema version number um, if a column is sensitive stuff like that right then you can use the tagging for that so i think that's a that's an interesting one uh any other of the governance and security ones that uh called uri the data
0: masking feature. I think that's that's something that uh, really helps the conditional data masking as well. Because I ran into a scenario like this where you know we had to do we had to mask some of the data before it was brought in from one of the uh, feeds that was stored on a source system. The way I did it back then was I basically during the transformation from one of the transformation tools. I simply just did n- I nullify all of those columns, so I didn't bring them in, yeah. but uh, having to having the capability to bring all of the data and be able to mask it as well at the same time, uh, that feature is definitely that uh, some customers will definitely desire because uh, it uh, gives you the data that you need and uh, still you can hide the sensitive data from the end users as well who's doing the analytics or uh, going through the data
1: yeah absolutely and to be able to do no one it likes
0: to see <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah exactly and to be able to do it like what you said right it's only only for a certain specific subset people you load the data you create the policies and then you know the people that are supposed to see everything they can see everything and the people that are not then they don't right like a, a typical like call center uh, type of uh, scenario where you want them you want them to be able to see you know some digits of a phone number to validate somebody or of an ID or something like that, right? The, the ability to have it be dynamic and conditional is very important, right? Not just like permanent static masking. All right, and now I saw another one that I thought was interesting that it might have some uh, some new use cases and it is the object dependency evaluation. So I thought that was could be interesting for a, a CI, CD scenario you know, if you're going to drop or you're going to change an object, what else are you affecting, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you're doing a release or if you want to validate what you're doing in terms of development, I think that's you know, the ability to evaluate object dependencies is important, right? To uh, try to decrease the kind of collateral effects that a change might have, right? So that, that's where I think it's pretty valuable, uh, mm-hmm. especially as people adopt... The product more and more they build more and more complex solutions right so they'll have the tables they'll have views on top they'll have functions on top they'll have store products on top um i don't know how deep it goes in the object dependency because i mean technically you you could have tasks that are dependent on tables right you could have uh, uh, other other type of objects replications etc right so Um, I haven't played around with it either. I just saw the demo there on the snow day. So I thought, well, at least, yeah, at least it's it's good to have something so that every time that you do a change, you can actually validate all these other things that you might be uh, changing or breaking when you do the change, right?
0: I think the new logging framework uh, is definitely going to give more capability in terms of uh, monitoring and also debugging as well. Right, because uh, uh, you know it helps uh, uh, find out what's going on with your environment and give you more details in terms of uh, uh, you know if a query is running slow or if it is a QD is you know not running as per the expectation. Uh, you can definitely go and debug the query and figure out what's wrong with yeah. the query as well. Well,
1: you've uh, done you've on done on development in Snowflake before at the store proc level. Is this like a gap? that they had to fill? Like they didn't have like a strong story in this area?
0: I, I definitely felt that, you know, the monitoring could be the dashboard, the experience could be improved, right? I mean, even with the new portal, uh, it did give a lot of information, but I also felt that, you know, having a centralized place to look at everything and be able to correlate all of that data and do debugging at the same time, uh, that can definitely help. And uh, I'm I'm very high hopes for this uh, framework as well that, you know, this will give me that capability where I'll be able to, you know, uh, not just look at the logs, but also be able to look at the metrics and also be able to debug uh, my queries as well to make sure that, you know, everything is centralized in one place rather than me trying to find information from different places.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is definitely something that's important as well for... uh general services providers or dba type people right always looking into how we can instrument things and even add our own stuff if necessary right so i think that's a gap definitely that they had whereas it wasn't easy to inject your own type of monitoring something that you think is important right it was only whatever snowflake offers and that's it right so opening the door to be able to customize that's definitely very important yeah. All right and then the last one that you mentioned was a new access history view for queries uh, and what what is, what is this what does that one do
0: it offers you like a you know a, a view for any modifications or any queries that you have been running what's the history for that right so that feature i think uh, is going to so be so it's an
1: auditing way. kind of feature
0: yes 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 exactly so it offers you that capability so in terms of governance and security it's definitely something that was lacking before and uh, having the capability definitely helps going forward
1: okay so before so let's let's have to do like a little compare and contrast here so before because i know snowflake always kept the history of a of queries right so we had a history of queries but now we have an access history view which is is similar but it's not really exactly the same right so the access history view is more granular and captures more information than just simply query history right so they the basically expanded that yeah okay
0: yeah and... in terms of compliance if i have to provide that information to an auditor i'll probably have more information to provide now going forward so that's definitely helpful
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of this is all, like you said, related to compliance. So a lot of times people don't even um, have an actual use for this data, but they need to be able to prove that they can fetch it if they need it. Right? It's more of a, okay, but what happens if you do have an issue with some data exfiltration or a disgruntled employee or whatever, right? Um, uh, Would you be able to check everything that was done and that's where these type of compliance audits and logs come into play, right? Um, so that's good. I mean, I'm sure there's some scenarios where the this was requested and Snowflake just didn't have that. It was a gap in their compliance story. So makes sense. They need to roll it, and again, they need to stay competitive with all the other um, data platform providers out there, right? Okay. And then I see another one. The last feature for governance security for today is row access policies. So what what is that one, Sandeep?
0: Yeah, I think it gives you, I haven't tested it yet, but I think it gives you the capability to provide access policies, to restrict users, to not have access to a certain number of rows from a particular table. I think yeah. that's, what, that's the capability it will provide, which is, again, a good security feature to have. I mean, you club it with the data masking feature, and it helps answer a lot of uh, data security questions in terms of, you know, what with people with having different specific job roles, what they can see and what they cannot see, uh, that definitely mm-hmm. helps uh, in those uh, cases as well. For sure, yeah.
1: Most RDBMSs support some level of role level security too, right? Oracle, SQL Server, etc. So again, it makes sense that Snowflake needs to provide something similar, so that um, people. Well, not only does it stay uh, kind of like side by side in terms of features, but also so that people don't have to roll out their own solutions on it, right? Because then we look at uh, usually people, what they would do is they have to create like a layer of views, right? And then the views, they put like the conditions and then they say, oh, this is like the uh, agent view and the analyst view, whatever. And then they have to filter the records based on whose uh, access they have on the view. And it just becomes very cumbersome. So native row level security, I'm sure is going to, um make that story more straightforward right just go straight with the native role level security instead of rolling your own right uh, let's move on to the development announcement so definitely the number 1 development announcement is snow park so uh, they've been talking about snow park for a while let's uh let's uh talk first what is snow park maybe you can walk us through what snow parks and deep why is it a big deal? Why is Snowflake making a big deal out of it?
0: I mean, Snowpark is just a data frame API, right? I mean, it allows teams to access data uh, with their favorite language mm-hmm. or favorite notebooks that they want to use, right? The main thing is that it allows you to use your own data query language for example it supports java it supports python it also had support for scala as well so yep. now if you if you are a data engineer who is already well versed with python or scala or you know how to use it you can basically use the uh, api the data frame api that they've developed to query the data and, and do analytics on top of that so definitely one of the most, you know, I guess <laughs> the biggest env- enhancements I would say that uh, the data engineering folks were looking for and now they have gotten it.
1: Do you think that people, like, but right now it's in preview, but let's assume, yeah. you know, let's look at- Everything one, that we either in Yeah, or
0: private anyways, yeah so. right
1: now really, almost all of this is in preview, but uh, let's, let's look in one year down the line. Do you think that clients will, people that are interested in, obviously, in setting up a data platform in the cloud, do you think this is compelling enough to not work with Spark, as in either open-source Spark or Databricks Spark, and just say, I have everything I need in the box with Snowflake, because I can just use Snowpark instead. and And we have the new increased external query capabilities as well right so Mm -hmm. do you think this does increase the value prop of snowflake as a platform as a whole will we see a lot of adoption on this like what's your take in terms of appetite in the market for something like this
0: see uh so this also you know, I mean, it, there's always like a launch and then the adaptability, right? So, for the adaptability to happen, uh, there has to be some use cases which proves that this is going to be a platform that people can rely on going forward, right? So, there's not going to be an immediate shift, I would say. People are going to still continue to use what they're using. And apart from that, there's going to be a learning curve for some of the people mm-hmm. to be able to use it, which is very simple to use uh, from the sounds of it and the demo that they did, right? but uh, once they adapt that learning curve and they have seen how good performance obviously we need to run some you know uh, tests as well to figure out like how good it is in terms of usage and uh, performance as well so once uh, we have that data coming through i think then i'll be able to give a proper answer on adaptability but i don't see that this being adapted pretty soon probably one year down the line i'll have a different answer once i've used it and and run some tests on top of this but uh, Honestly, I mean, uh, definitely the thing that we talked about having everything into one centralized platform rather than, you know, hooking up with multiple tools and having to learn multiple tools as well, that will go away. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, analytics, uh, an- a- I mean, analysts in the future, if you tell them that, OK, now you don't have to work on three different products, there's one single product and you don't have to learn something new. It's the same language that you've worked with before. You can just, you know, call this API hook up your uh, tools with it, whatever you need, and get the answers that you were looking for, uh, I think, uh, you know, they will at least give it a try. And then once the results comes out and uh, uh, the test results and and in terms of performance, it's all good, uh, then, you know, we'll start seeing uh, the adaptability towards it. But by the point, if you think about it, you know, there's gonna be competition being offered by other platforms as well. Yeah,
1: They're always yeah. I mean, yeah. look at Synapse, right? Synapse already offers a lot of integration with the actual Spark, right? They didn't come up with Synapse Spark or whatever, you know what I mean? So so it, it also gives you a value proposition of saying, well, if I use Synapse, it's still just Spark. And if I want to move that Spark workload into somewhere else, like I can because they didn't just run Spark. Whereas I haven't looked into as much how... Similar or different, the Snowpark code is, would you be able to easily port it into Spark if you had to? So you don't feel as locked in to Snowflake actually, either, right?
0: See, the Python data frame APIs, uh, you know, they are pretty much similar to what PySpark does. It breaks it. Into, it looked
1: very similar to me,
0: yes. Yeah. So they, they actually do convert it into Snowflake SQL uh, so they can be executed optimally. That's what they're saying, at least as per the announcement. I
1: saw that on the so, demo as well. I thought that's a very yeah. interesting approach too. So instead yeah. of writing some sort of uh, API or optimizer in the Snowflake engine that would take that generate generate like execution plans like Spark would do, what they did was, it seems like what they did was, Right, like a translation layer. So every time that there's uh, an actual operation against the data frame, it gets translated into the SQL. So I thought that was definitely very interesting, uh, a very interesting approach to the problem. Right.
0: Right. I mean, so that brings me to my next, you know, question, obviously, is what if if I have a very large, you know, set of transformations as a part of uh, my code? What happens then right will that conversion take a lot of time and uh, possibly
1: you know, yeah yeah but i mean you would have the same problem with spark right you have yeah. to deploy a big a big uh, cluster in spark to do a big series of large transformations yes. um so uh, i guess i guess we have to see down the line once like you said there's going to be a, a period where people adopted more tested more to really see the quality of these sql translations and and, uh, and see if they perform well or not, right? Because to your point, if they, if they don't perform well, when people start to test it, then nobody's going to adopt it, right? If it's like way slower than just regular Spark.
0: Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I can write the SQL code itself, right? And run it, right?
1: I mean, <laughs> SQL. That's, that's true not too, that... right? Because a lot of data engineers know SQL very well, right? Yes. So it has to be something that is also uh, complex enough or maybe like some sort of library already exists, there has to be a a compelling reason to use Snowpark instead of just using the regular SQL engine, right? All right. But anyway, this is still pretty cool. Uh, Early days for Snowpark, but it shows a lot of promise. Uh, It it is also very interesting how it also shows a shift in the market. I don't know if you saw this. uh, I think it was about one or two weeks ago. If you haven't, go, uh, go and Google it after our are we record this today but databricks posted a quote-unquote benchmark of databricks versus snowflake i don't know if you saw that if you haven't go look it up and then yeah and then uh, snowflake actually answered to databricks as well saying that they were uh, not posting accurate numbers and they reproduced the databricks test and they could show how Databricks actually had misrepresented the cost versus performance comparison that they had. And they even put like steps in the, like the appendix of the blog post about like here, go out and run with this data set, create this size of uh, a warehouse in snowflake. And you'll see that the numbers are not the same as the Databricks published benchmark. I thought it was actually pretty interesting um, because other than the fact that, you know, uh, classic companies just trying to outdo each other um, seems to me that and Databricks is the one that started It's like, who who started this? Right. But it uh, seems to me then uh, with this new capability, a company that is focused in the spark space like Databricks sees uh, Snowflake as a threat. Right. And that's uh-huh. the reason they had to for them to come out with benchmark and everything. Right, so uh, very, very interesting. If you if you have some time, yeah, check it out. Uh, go Google it, and uh, it's a it's an interesting read. Read both of the benchmarks, and then come to your own conclusions. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, honestly, I don't trust these published benchmarks. <laughs> yeah, right. I never trust them. Reason being because when I actually do my own analysis, I've always gotten different results for sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: so. it always seems like they the numbers are are. Very strange, strangely enough, the numbers are always skewed towards the publisher of the of the exactly. specific benchmark, right?
0: There's been no single publisher who has ever shown that you know that there's a product out there which performs better than us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But anyway, and to the readers as uh, the listeners as well, if you are uh, interested about that story, go ahead and just check it out on Google. You'll probably find some blog posts about it, and it's a uh, interesting read if you are following this whole space of the cloud data platforms, and and you are um, a fan of of this space, then it's interesting to read about this stuff. All right. Then the other one, big one, I think this one goes hand in hand with Snowpark, is the support for unstructured data. So what is that, Sandeep? What does Snowflake mean when they say, okay, now we support unstructured data?
0: So I think this is one of the new And cap- uh, by by the way, this is also in private review. So okay. that's <laughs> so, yeah, right. I, mean, I think the the capability that it gives is that if you have, for example, PDFs, right, uh, or if you mm. have uh, another example like invoices or something, and you want to extract the metadata or the data from itself, and you know uh, read through that data. It could be any file. It could be image uh, exchangeable image format as well. You want to you know, get that data and you want to read the metadata or extract the data from that and be able to read that. I think that is what... Oh, okay, is so
1: any binary data. file, like you said, yes. any binary file that has some info that I might want to analyze, like PDFs, for example. Yeah, PDF is a good example, because there's still some people out there that do like business to business data transmission with PDFs. Yes. It's pretty mind-blowing.
0: <laughs> you will be surprised <laughs> with the amount then, of data that is in terms of PDF
1: yeah i don't know why people obviously it's a terrible format for exchanging data but i have seen that in the field every now and then where a partner sent another partner their data through a pdf and somehow they think that's a good format but anyway so so this opens up for by bi- uh, comp- compute against binary files yeah. so like you said and, and i guess this goes hand in hand with Snowpark part two right because you're not going to be doing sql against an audio file or a pdf or a video file etc right
0: yep yep it gives you know the developers a direct capability to access and process any of the unstructured data using Snowpark.
1: so now we have obviously uh, again this is turns uh, snowflake into more of a general data lake engine right so we have support for full support for structured data and if you want like the whole capabilities right the time travel the micro partitioning etc then you use the native snowflake tables you have your semi-structured data support right so you can query json you can query xml you can query parquet with really robust Mm -hmm. querying tools and now we have the unstructured data support with snowpark right to be able to say hey let's load up these jpegs into a snowpark uh job or maybe running scala or python and let's extract the metadata like you said or even they could be something like let's let's train a model that does some image recognition or something like that right so it opens up to all types of data now which i think is pretty cool as well right again it's snowflake branching out into the data lake workload and not just so much as you know it's not just the warehouse anymore right
0: okay uh one of the other items uh, you know was uh, the support for java stored procedures right uh, yeah
1: that's okay. interesting that's interesting java store procs um cuz right now it's all javascript correct
0: Yep. yes so now what you can do is you can just take your client side code and run it as a procedure inside of snowflake which you know gives you the ability to offload uh, your application code directly on, on Snowflake, which is, I think, you know, I mean, it gives you a lot of capability in terms of, uh, you know, having uh, that, uh, the backend logic stay in the backend rather than having it process on the client side, I guess. So that yeah, I mean,
1: be and obviously you can program anything with Java if you really wanted yes. to, right? The general uh, programming language is also super popular as well, so you'll be able to easily find devs that... that can work with Java too. I'm still surprised. I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but they said they were gonna have SQL store procedures a while ago, yet we haven't seen them yet. Yep. I, I think <laughs> but, but now we have was... Java store procs first, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. This was, you know, I mean I think you know you still get the SQL procedures in case you just you know declare some Java variables and then just execute them.'re basically executing SQL code. But uh, I think this was way back when we were doing some development uh, on Snowflake, and all we knew was how to write SQL. I, I still still know how to just write SQL. I still have no idea how to write Java. But I think there is a workaround for that, but they still don't support that as of now. and it would have been a really good thing to see because, they support SQL natively for literally everything, but when it comes to like stored procedures, they still don't support it. Yeah, so I think that's that what be...
1: I'm surprised about the order of release of these features, right? So they decided to release Java support for store procs first, then native SQL support. And if I want to, even if I want to do something very simple, like you said, just like declare a variable, load it with the results of a query, do something to it, and then spit it back out, I have to technically use javascript or java to achieve something like that which is very simple right it's it's not like yeah i'm not trying to break new ground here in terms of store proc development it's like the most simple thing that store proc can do right retrieve some results and then write them back out um and you can't do that with sql still you have to deploy either javascript or java to be able to do it so I'm just surprised about the order, like that they decided that to do this first with Java then to do with SQL.
0: And the other thing, in case our viewers are wondering, you know, the Java UDFs were actually being supported in AWS since June. Uh, it's just that they have been added uh, on uh, support for uh, GCP and Azure it's still in private preview but uh, you know in case you were wondering that you know that there has been this support before yes it was just on aws but now they have extended it on AWS, on azure and gcp but i think it was a good point to mention definitely
1: yeah okay cool and then there were a couple of improvements so let's uh finishing up for for this uh, set of updates for snow day there were some improvements made to the data marketplace i don't know if you saw that those uh updates to the data marketplace um but for example something that i thought was pretty cool is that people can buy directly from the data marketplace and pay per query the usage of other people's data did you see that also
0: they also have a try before you buy policy as well so you know in case you want to do some data trials right you can mm-hmm. actually give it a try and if you don't like it you just return it back or something like that uh, again yeah you can get a
1: subset of the vendor's data to try yeah before you actually pay for the full price of of uh of, yeah. yeah the full access to the data i thought that was pretty cool as well yeah you could monetize a lot of the data sets through the snowflake marketplace and as a consumer it takes off like the pressure or the risk of like oh i'm going to pay for this data set and then it might not be what i need right mm-hmm. so both features try before you buy very important and then the other one that i thought was very interesting definitely was the paper query yeah. for using somebody else's data set right so if you if you're like just trying to produce some sort of report but you don't need permanent access to the data set. You just wanna use it like a couple of times. You can just pay per usage of that specific data set and then be done with it, right? So I think that's very attractive too, right? Just exactly pay per the usage of somebody else's data set. And Snowflake is the one that handles it under the covers. So as a data provider, it's also attractive, right? Like Snowflake is the one that will keep the meter. Snowflake does the billing. Do you think that there is a enough incentive here for more people to start looking at monetizing their data yeah. through these data marketplaces?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think that was one of the other things that I was going to bring up is that, you know, I mean, marketplace, adding features for marketplace is another way of looking at how, they're looking at snowflake as an entire product because when you go to marketplace you're basically looking at integrations or solutions which are not directly supported in snowflake and you're ready to pay you know some money to get that uh, information or get that data or get those integrations so adding those features to marketplace definitely helps and in terms of uh, you know users who have something and they want to monetize their product or their data uh, the growth of marketplace and in the features added to marketplace definitely help those consumers and those providers as well for sure.
1: yeah, and I was just uh, uh, maybe a few days ago, maybe like a week ago, I did I recorded of a, an episode of a podcast with Scott McCormick about Google announcements as well and Google has this is starting to use the same idea with the analytics hub right the idea um, that you can put it in a data marketplace and bill the consumption of your data sets like this is coming everywhere right so soon enough we'll have something i don't know if aws has something similar or not um, azure doesn't have something similar but it's probably in development as we speak right now because it just makes a lot of sense to have the this this new idea right that just data itself can be bought and sold and shared and and to make it mm-hmm. as seamless as possible for the consumers and the providers right
0: definitely helps and i've seen that you know even so i was uh, pretty i mean I, the first time i was introduced to the whole idea of marketplace was way back in 2000 i think 13 14 on aws mm-hmm. and uh, since then you know uh, when i started using other platforms i saw that you know the marketplace was not as enhanced that as aws has and then sooner the other vendors also realize and the marketplace the capabilities uh, are improving day by day uh, for all of these platforms which which definitely you know is is a way of them saying that yeah we realize that you know uh, these are some of the requirements that can be published by the providers and the consumers will definitely need with benefit from some of the use cases these providers have had previously so you know the ability to share plus, you know, monetize uh, what you have already done uh, on a platform, Mm -hmm. which a verified platform, I would say uh, is much better because if you can upload the same stuff on something else as well, uh, which is unverified and no one is going to buy it, right? Having it on a verified platform definitely helps the providers and also the consumers as well, because now they have a, you know, they have some kind of a trust through their partner that, you know, okay, yeah, we trust Snowflake, and if if Snowflake Snowflake is allowing that uh, provider to uh, provide services on their platform, then obviously it's verified, so they can also trust the uh, data that you're they're getting. And if they don't, if they still don't trust it, then you they do have the uh, the buy before the the try before you buy policy as well, which allows the consumers to be extra sure on what they're trying to buy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is just opening the door for more stuff, right? Because if we think about it, like you said, AWS started with like a simple cloud marketplace and it's expanded to more and more things. Um, Same thing with Snowflake, right? Right now we're looking at data sets, but it could be in the future we're looking at a marketplace of uh, ML models, for example, right? We could be looking at a future of a marketplace of transformation functions, maybe somebody writes some cool java functions to do uh, audio or video processing and then they expose it through the snowflake marketplace and every time that you call their functions you pay some you know fraction of cents or stuff like that and then they keep uh, updating and upgrading the functions i mean the sky's the limit here in terms of what yep. what you can buy <laughs> buy and sell right <laughs> so i think i think that's a cool Definitely a cool idea, and I think it's going to evolve quite a bit over time, as you said, as, as we saw it evolve in some of the other, you know, the hyperscale providers as well. Yep, yep. All right. Well, those are all the updates we have for today, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sandeep, for joining me again uh, today for the snow day update if you are looking into the full list of snow day updates go ahead and search for a snowflake snow day on google these are the updates that sandeep and i thought were the best ones There might have been a few that we missed if you want to check out the whole list and all the stuff that snowflake had to say about it feel free to go and reach out on the snowflake website and until next time thanks for listening Thank you. bye bye
0: Navigating the Datascape.